your fellow redeemed. We consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And as we begin, this parable that Jesus tells, it, um, it makes sense for the most part. But if you have a little bit fuller picture of what exactly is going on, it'll probably make a little bit more sense. The way that we have our uh, marriage practice in, in this country and in our culture and community is that, that two young people um, or two people decide that they want to get married and after they date for a while, you know, maybe meet the family, um, then the, the man generally proposes marriage to the woman. And then she says, yes, they plan their day. They plan their day. They've got the, the church reserved for the day. They line up a pastor, um, hopefully. <laughs> and then they, they line up the fellowship hall or the reception hall and have the wedding reception. At any rate, they have to find somebody who can legally marry them in that state. Here at Resurrection, this is one of the things that Pastor Hagen has been called to do, is to provide marriages for those who are desiring marriage, especially here at Resurrection. And so I paid the small you know, $10 fee for the state of Ohio to license me, a, um, an ordained clergyman, with the state authority to perform a legal marriage in the state of Ohio. So then the day comes, and we have our service here. Um, at some point, we sign the marriage license, send it off to the state, then everybody goes to party at the reception hall. We're familiar with that. And that isn't exactly what Jesus is talking about in our parable today, although there are some similarities. For the most part, the elements are spread out a little bit more. The two young people would meet and generally, the marriage would be something arranged, but it wasn't arranged without the consent of the young people, that they decided that they wanted to get married, and then the parents would arrange it. And then the family would sit down together, and the family would sit down together and sign the marriage license. And from that moment on, then those who were pledged, those who were betrothed to each other, would be legally married. And then the husband-to-be would go back to his father's house and build on another room onto his father's house. And when that room was sufficiently prepared, then the celebration would commence. The day would come, the father would say, all is now ready, and then the groom, what Jesus usually terms the bridegroom, at least in translation, the groom would go back to pick up his wife, and then everybody would follow along behind everybody would follow along behind to the reception hall for the celebration. The celebration and the church side of things. The you know, church ceremony, the rabbi would say a few words. Um, if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, the later tradition would be stomping on a, uh, a, a glass, um, champagne glass. And then they would have this ceremony, this um, reception, this party that would go on for a week. And that kind of brings some clarity to what we hear throughout the rest of Scripture. You think of Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, that, um, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They weren't simply engaged where it was a promise that I intend to marry you, as we have in our promise, our, uh, our tradition of engagement. 
They were betrothed to one another, which means that they were legally bound to one another. They were already legally married, although they had not yet begun their married life together. And so when Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant, he has in mind to divorce her quietly, because it's not just breaking off an engagement, it is dissolving the legal marriage that has already begun. That would take a divorce. Joseph has in mind to divorce her quietly. The angel says, no, it's actually not like that. That's not what happened. And you see, the rest of the the details come into focus, especially when Jesus is talking about the parable here and a couple of other parables or the evening discussion in the upper room from like John chapter 14. Lord, how do we know the way to where you are going? And Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I am going to prepare a place for you, then I will come back to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And all of a sudden, that snaps hopefully into a little bit clearer focus, that what Jesus is talking about there is he is walking through the marriage rite. He is walking through the wedding rite, where he himself has committed himself, betrothed himself to his bride, the church. And he says he is going to be going away for a while, and then he will come back to take them to be with him. He is going away. He says that he is going to prepare a, a room, a place in his father's house. And when he does that, he isn't saying that heaven is like, like a hotel with all these rooms that he has to finish building in order to fit people. What he's doing and what he's saying is that it really is um, drawing on this marriage terminology. That throughout Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, Genesis, the marriage that we see there between Adam and Eve, designed to reflect the relationship between God and his people. Revelation, after all the time of human history has completed. Revelation, the image of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And the marriage feast of the Lamb, the continual refrain of the church. And with all that in the background, then you see in this parable today, here is the, uh, this group of young ladies. They are not married yet. This group of young ladies who are waiting for the groom to come through the town with his bride, waiting to go along to the reception hall, waiting for the party. And five of them, well, they tucked in an extra jug of olive oil into their purses, and five of them did not. And they're waiting with their lamps trimmed and burning, as the, uh, the old song, as the old song said. And the bridegroom comes, five are ready, and five were not. And understanding how it all works and understanding this parable is really the largest key that we have for understanding both the life of the church and life in these latter days life in these end times. You realize that these end times started when the bridegroom first went away at his ascension, when he had fulfilled those words and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then he visibly ascends into heaven to prepare a place for us. Not that heaven needed so much more construction, but that his bride, the church, that's you and me, that his bride, the church, would be ready and waiting for his return. And that understanding gives us a lot of clarity because usually when this comes up, I'm usually visiting an older shut-in member and they're like, Pastor, do you have a couple minutes? 
Yeah, I do. Always. And they say, well, this is what I'm seeing on TV. This is what I'm seeing in my family. This is what I'm seeing in my community. And how much longer can the world go on like this? Pastor, do you understand? I, I grew up under the constant threat of, um, of nuclear destruction in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But it didn't feel like this. It feels like, like everything could just end. How much longer will it be until Jesus returns and puts an end to all this? Pastor, did you see those, you know, that recent horrific crime? Did you see this um, idea of a law that got passed? How much longer do you think God is going to let it all keep spinning? That's where it often comes up. And usually the discussion goes something like this, about, um, about Jesus returning to heaven visibly, and Jesus saying that he will return back to earth visibly, so that as lightning that flashes in the east is visible in the west, so will the Son of Man be at his return, returning just the way we had seen him go, returning visibly in glory. But it also doesn't just clarify the events of this world as if we were fearing that the crazy guy on the other side of the world, and pick your, take your pick, there are more than enough of them, the crazy guy on the other side of the world is going to blow up the earth, as if that fear weren't enough. It also provides clarity for the things we do within God's church. We had that discussion this past week um, in our catechism class, talking with the catechism children about the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And as we're kind of walking through that, that study and talking about how Jesus entered Jerusalem in Palm Sunday to the cries of, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a little teaching point in the, uh, in the workbook. Do you recognize these words? Holy, 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 Lord God of heavenly hosts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And to ask these, these children, these 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th graders, have you heard those words before? And then one by one, you kind of see the lights go on. <laughs> have you heard these words before? That those are the words that we sing in, um, in the, the sanctus, is the word for it, which just means holy. Those are the words that we sing immediately preceding the words of institution. Holy, 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 Lord God of heavenly hosts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That the church waits. That the church waits for Jesus by waiting with Jesus. I guess that's the first thing to see. That Jesus hasn't removed himself so far that he is far and away, locked away in heaven and distant from every care and concern of your life. That Jesus isn't so far and away that he is keeping all of his power and all of his glory um, away from your life. And he is just leaving us here to meddle our way through, to fuddle our way along until hopefully something good happens. But that Jesus promises to visit his people. Jesus promises to visit his people, but he does so not in the glorious return of his descent from heaven, but in the humility of concealing his glory so that he can be near his people. That when pastor you know, visits somebody, or you visit somebody, and you share a little bit of a reading from God's word, that the comfort and the relief they experience isn't simply the comfort and relief of familiar words hearing again, 
but the comfort and relief of Jesus using those words as his vehicle to bring himself with all of his gifts, with all of his glory, with all of his power. That the church gathers to sing, holy, 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 blessed is he who comes, because Jesus makes his entrance into, into the middle of God's people again. That Jesus comes to visit his people, not in, in glory, but in humility. Concealing that glory, and here no less than on that donkey on Palm Sunday. Concealing and hiding his, um, his body beneath the bread and his, his blood beneath that taste of grape. Holy, 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 blessed is he. And it gives some perspective. Perspective as we see the news and it just keeps scrolling and it's like, can it get any worse? I've learned to not ask that question anymore. Can it get any worse? Well, Matthew 24 tells us that Jesus will come again. Matthew 25 tells us Jesus will come to judge. And as the church gathers to wait for Jesus by waiting with Jesus, the question, are we ready? Are we ready? Where it would be simple enough to get distracted by all the headlines. It would be simple enough, and you and I know uh, as well as we do, (laughs) it would be simple enough to have all the headlines grab our hearts and emotions and say, well, we have to correct this injustice. We have to uh, make sure that we are lobbying or advocating for that idea. It would be simple enough to say, yes, I'm ready and waiting for Jesus, but this is what I'm most concerned about right now, because where is my Jesus when I see this sort of pain, when I see this sort of sin, when I see this sort of suffering? And wouldn't it be foolish? Wouldn't it be foolish to act as those who were unprepared in Matthew 25, to act as those who were unprepared, as if we're surprised that a world of sin and death and pain continues to be a world of sin and death and pain. To be unprepared and say, you know what, I didn't didn't know that this was going to happen. I didn't think it could get any worse. And to let the shock of that idea roll over us so that our hearts and our minds are distracted and not ready. Are we ready? And you can say, well, obviously, pastor, I'm here. (laughs) I am the church. I'm part of the church waiting for Jesus by waiting with Jesus. I'm here to hear what he has to say. I'm here to enjoy his presence for a few brief minutes here in this holy place, this sanctuary, as we gather to sing holy, 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 the Sanctus. But really, are we? And I would say, well, you can consider for yourself. How easy is it to talk about, um, <laughs> I haven't talked about this very much, so I'll, we'll go there today. How easy is it to talk about Jim Harbaugh <laughs> and to talk about all the skullduggery and nefarious actions of the rest of the Big Ten to try to submarine the University of Michigan? How easy is it to debate the ethics of a private investigator who may have been paid off by Ohio, the Ohio State University? My guess is, you've never met Jim Harbaugh. I haven't either. You're not going to. But you've met Jesus. 
And if it's that easy to talk about a coach who doesn't care about you, should it be that difficult to talk about a Jesus who gave his life for you? To say, you know, I see what happened in Ohio politics or Michigan politics. I see what happened in Ohio sports and Michigan sports. And it so consumes our vision and grabs our hearts. And we're so distracted. And it's like the oil just fell out of our purses as we're waiting. Are we ready? Maybe. But then, do we act as those who are prepared? Just give it a try. To say that this is the Jesus I care about most of all and above all. Surely that would mean I want to verbalize something to somebody that I care about. Or at least, at least spend a little bit of time to hear what this Jesus has to say so that I can be the church waiting for Jesus by waiting with Jesus and he is there present at your coffee table the same way as he is here present in the hearing of his word. To wait for Jesus by waiting with Jesus to say, you know what, I care about sports and I'll cheer for my team, yay, go sports. But at the same time, we've got, we've got a Jesus who promises to return at a time when no one will expect him, is what he says in Matthew 25. Matthew 24, it's like, what else do we have to wait for? Matthew 24 is like all the, the road signs on the rest of human history. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, starvation, people squabbling among themselves, and all the descriptions in Matthew 24 saying Jesus will return. Jesus will come. In Matthew 25, he's not just coming to say, hey, last call, this is it. He's coming to judge, Matthew 25. And how much simpler it would be to say, I care about, I care about my family or I care about my community, and so therefore, I'll just find an easy thing to talk about rather than talk about the Jesus who matters most of all. And understand, I mean, hopefully we do understand, that Christianity has never been, um, you know, biblical Christianity has never been exceptionally popular. But please go ahead and understand that when you talk about Jesus, they're going to try to turn that around and say, well, that must mean you're closed-minded. That must mean that you are anti-science. That must mean you are anti-reason. That must mean you are one of those Christians, and I've already tried that, and I don't like that. But waiting for Jesus by waiting with Jesus means that we care about those who are not ready. And when that day comes and it closes like a trap, when that day comes, and the curtain falls. To see Jesus coming and say, well, I wanted to, but it would have hurt their feelings. It's another thing entirely if they say, you know what, Pastor Hagen, I don't want to hear about it anymore. It's another thing entirely if they say, you know what, Pastor Hagen, you can take your Bible and, um, and put it somewhere where I'm not going to see it, I'm not going to hear about it, fine, then your blood is on your own head. And I shake the dust off my feet. But to have the opportunity, while it is still day, to say, dear friend, 
I want you to be ready for Jesus by waiting with Jesus. It's as simple as, um, it's as, simple as saying to somebody that you might see, you know, I've just got, you know, we're done here and following up with, well, I'm not, I've got one more thing I want to ask you. Do you have a church home? I've got one more thing that I want to ask you. Do you have a pastor who cares about you? Do you have a pastor who knows your name? I've got one more thing that I want to ask you. Do you know when Jesus comes back, where are you going? I've got one more thing to ask you. Can you spare like an hour and a half of your time on Sunday morning? And, uh, and do you and yours want to come over for chicken at my house afterward? And we can pick up KFC. Apparently that's a thing too. It's fantastic. Or my personal favorite, Costco pizza, which the morning after, um, I'm always parched and I can't talk very well. <laughs> there you go. But it's that main question. As people who have been prepared, who are the recipient of all the preparation that Jesus did to make you ready for his return, as people who have received in your heart and in your life, by mouth and by ear, you have received all the blessings and benefits of the preparations that Jesus has done. And we wait. We wait as the waiting church. We wait as the people who have been prepared. We wait as those who are waiting with Jesus as we wait for Jesus. And when that day comes, what a, what a joy. That Jesus describes it as a, a wedding celebration. What happier day could there be than the wedding celebration of, of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the groom, bringing his church, his bride, to the eternal wedding celebration of all time. And that's why Jesus says, come. Come and listen. Come and hear. Come and taste the, the foretaste of the heavenly banquet where Jesus comes to visit you individually and personally and tangibly in a way that you can smell and touch. Where Jesus comes to visit you personally, individually and tangibly, but in humility. Not in the, the unending glory of his return, but he conceals that glory. He conceals that power so that he can be near to you today and say, dear Christian, you have nothing to fear. Your Jesus has made you ready. Amen. Amen.